0: So we are continuing in our Philippians series and if you notice it's called a walk through Philippians because it's literally been a walk through Philippians like we're we're on week is this the third week we've been doing this we're on week 3 and we're on verse 9. So we're really moving quickly. So uh sorry about that I guess I don't know. But uh anyways, so if you if you um kind of have been here the last few weeks or if you've been listening to the podcast um you'll kind of know that what, what we've been talking about to this point has been how Paul, even though he's really in, um, has speaking of circumstances, he's sitting in a prison cell. Um, he's been beaten. He's been tortured. He has every right to be down and just poor me and pitying himself. Yet he's writing this letter to the Philippians and he is writing with this thankful, grateful, um, excited heart. And so I just, I want to just kind of read back through what we've talked about so far, um, starting in verse 1. And um, I know, Joel, you don't have this on there, but I'm just going to start reading. It says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer. So we have Paul who is in prison, yet he says, I give thanks to you, or thanks for you every time I think of you, praying with joy, right? Every time I pray, I'm thinking of joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ, and it is right for me to think this way about you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the advancement. And the, me, and the defense and establishment of the gospel, for as God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so we see this beautiful picture of Paul who is who is thankful, who is worshiping Jesus in spite of his circumstances. And I think it kind of fits in even where we start out today, because you know, the thing about the Bible and the thing about God and the thing about Jesus is that if we're not careful, what happens is he just becomes somebody that we study and we learn a lot about. Does that make sense? Like, we do, and there's nothing wrong with Bible studies. We'll have Bible studies going on all throughout the city this week, right? Check out one of them, right? Small groups. Um, But uh, a little plug right there. Check them out. We got cards out on the desk right there. Sign up for one. Um, (laughs) But anyways, so Bible studies are good, but if we're not careful, what happens is we spend all of our time learning and learning and learning about God without ever worshiping him and having that become an active thing in our lives. And so what we see here is Paul, who his relationship with Jesus is so much more than knowledge because he's in these terrible circumstances and yet it's active and real and alive in his life. So much so that he's able to worship and be thankful regardless of his circumstances. And so um, as much as I'm going to get up here and teach and preach and talk about Jesus, I want it to be so much more than us just learning about God. I want it to be us in this time together getting to know him together. Like the worship aspect where we just got done worshiping him and praising him, saying, Lord, I need you, and we're worshiping and That is just as important as you sitting here and learning some cool facts about the Bible right, if not more important, right, and so we want to be a church, we want to be a place where we come and we worship the Savior as much as we learn and our knowledge of him grows, and we're going to talk about knowledge of the Bible a little bit in the scripture, we want to be a place where our knowledge of God leads us to worship that God and know that God, not just to be like really intelligent theologians, right, and so anyways, and I'm not that smart anyway, so it wouldn't do good for me, right, And, and I know some of you guys and y'all are really smart, so y'all thought, y'all thought I was going somewhere else with that, didn't you? So let's go through. So here we have Paul, and what we're reading today is verses 9 through 11. And what this is, is it's, it's really cool because this is, Paul is actually telling the Philippians, hey, when I pray for you, here's what I am praying for you right now. So it's pretty cool. Like As a pastor, I, I was reading this this week, and I was like, yeah, I man, as a pastor, this is my heart, too, for our church. And so it's just neat because Paul's kind of a pastor to these Philippians and he's sharing his heart for them. Here's when I pray for you, this is what I pray for. And so I was really, for me as your pastor, I was praying this for you this week that we would experience this in our own church. And so let me just like, just, just get to it, right, Mike? All right, let's talk about it. Verse 9 says, And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing and knowledge in every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and be pure and blameless on the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God let me read that again he says and i pray this that your love will keep on growing and knowledge in every kind of discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior and be be Pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul starts out and he's telling them, this is what I'm praying for you about. I pray this, that your love will keep on growing and that it will grow in these two ways, in knowledge and in discernment. So what is that? The basic hope is this, that as a church, as Christians, that your love for one another would continue to grow. That as Christians, that as you are in community together, as you're getting to know each other, as you're rubbing up against each other, right, that what you, what you learn is it's really easy to love people from a distance. Like what I mean by that is it's really easy to send my money to the missionary in Africa, right, but it's, it's a lot harder to just get to know somebody that's sitting next to me in a pew and love them deeply. That's a lot harder. Right? Like I would rather just like send my check somewhere, right? Yes, no, maybe? I don't know. All right. But but what we see is so Paul's saying, Hey, I want you as you get to know, as you grow in community together, I want you to grow in this love relationship together. I want it to be something that's continually to growing to be growing and becoming bigger and bigger amongst each other. And he's not talking about like this hippie kind of love, right? Like he's not talking about like peace, love, joy, like 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 I had these friends whenever I was in they weren't really my friends. I wouldn't really claim I like, knew one guy that was a part of the group. And they had this relationship where they, they thought that they had like, this deep, like, dude, I'm, have you ever heard the, the saying, a good friend will bail you out of jail, but a great friend is sitting in jail next to you? You ever heard that? That's like kind of true, but that's kind of what these guys believed with each other. Like, dude, we party together, man. We just love each other, right? But then as soon as it got hard, as soon as it hit the fan, they're like, peace, dude, I'm out right? That's not this real, that's not the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about something that's deeper in our Christian faith. And biblical love isn't like this mushy, I mean it is mushy, I mean you know, but it's not an emotional thing. It's deeper than that. It's biblical love is really, if I were to define it, I would say it's, it isn't just this, but it's definitely this. It's sacrificial, it's active, And it pushes us to do some things that we probably wouldn't want to do on our own if it wasn't for it. Like it's sacrificial in that, I mean, we think of just the example that we have. If you look at something as simple as John 3.16, right? It's a picture of a Savior, a God who looked at us, loved us so much that he sacrificed his own son for us on the cross. Like the very picture of the biblical love it's sacrifice. It's Jesus dying on the cross for you and for me. It's sacrificial. And it's not sacrificial in the context of, because if we're not careful, we get into this. It's not sacrificial in the context of, I'm sacrificing for you, so now you're supposed to sacrifice for me. That's not sacrificial love. That's called a contract. That's called manipulation. And that's not the kind of love that Paul is calling the church or Christians to. He's not saying, I want you to grow so that you can sacrifice. So it's like, now I've sacrificed for you, so now I got you. Now you've got to do this for me. That's, that's not sacrificial love, that's a contract, that's, that's an expectation, that's a burden that you're putting on somebody else that's not fair and not right. True sacrificial love gives without expecting in return. And so Paul's talking about this, a love that's sacrificial, he's talking about a love that's active. True love stirs us to action. That's why as a church when we say we want to we love our city, we want to love North Fort Worth, we want to love Keller, we want to love Watauga, we don't just say it. We're not just going to say, yeah, we love our city. We want to be a part of our city. No, we are actively as a church pursuing opportunities to do that. That's why we just did the clothing giveaway a few weeks ago. That was an opportunity for us in a church in just our small way to partner with our city and show them that we love them, that we care about them, that that we want to be with them. We want to show them Jesus, right? So true love is active, and then this one is the one you probably won't like. True love calls us us to do more or do things that we probably don't want to do sometimes. For example, the true biblical picture of love is when Jesus says, love your enemy, bless those who persecute you. It's real easy to love somebody who's loving you back, right? It's really, and look, like, like I'm not saying this, like I have it down. Like, literally I almost punched a woman in the face yesterday. Like that's not good for your, for your pastor to say. But we were at Buffalo Wild Wings, and if you don't know this about me, I'm a Tennessee fan, and um, they were playing Georgia yesterday, and there was this couple that were sitting back there, and they were, they, the guy they were rooting for Georgia, but they were also rooting for South Carolina, but he was wearing a shirt that said he was from Alabama. So I don't know. They were just all mixed up. But they were the most loudest, obnoxious, like, the game hadn't even started yet. And the guy was like, or the woman, it's, the woman was, she was the worst one. She was like, go, dog! Like, woo, woo And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder somebody if I don't get out of here, right? Like, Stephen was, with the, he's a, Stephen was with me. He's a Georgia fan. And he was like, dude, let's leave it at halftime. I'm going to kill somebody, right? <laughs> and so, like, I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to love your enemy. Like, we're just talking about, like, a sports enemy right there. Not even, like, a real enemy. But we didn't punch anybody. We were nice to them when we left, weren't we, Stephen? Yeah, see, we were nice to them when we left. And we just went home and watched the game and saved our, like, didn't sin. We didn't sin. We, we did not sin, right? Maybe may in thought, but not indeed. right? And so, but true biblical love calls us to more than, than what, um, I guess, the world's love looks like. And that, and... The reason I say that is look at this picture from John 13 that Jesus says about. John thirteen thirty five. he says, by this, so by what he's about to say, all people will know that you are my disciples. So what we know he's about to say is probably pretty important, right? It, this is this. What I'm about to tell you is how people will know that you're a Christian if you have love for one another. And he's not talking about some cheap love. What he's saying is what will, hear this Christian, what he's saying is what will differentiate you from the world is the way that you love each other. Not what political party you're from, not whether or not you're pro or anti-abort, not like as you get into all these things that we like to argue about and get real dangerous with what he's saying is, Christian, what is going to differentiate you is the way you love each other. That's dangerous, right? If if nothing else, what that should just that verse right there should make us as Christians step back and take inventory of ourselves. And I, I'm gonna I really went back and forth on whether or not to say this because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not I want to I'm gonna say this from the jump. This is. I'm not making any kind of a political statement. This is not a we should have done this or we shouldn't have done this. I just want to. I want to share with you something that really just bothered my spirit a few months back. And do you guys remember whenever we when we had the Syrian refugee crisis? You guys know what I'm talking about. It was a huge hot button topic. Still is, right? And so that's why I was nervous to talk about it because, like, I don't want to—I don't want anybody to think I'm saying something I'm not. And so I'll say from the beginning again that I'm not. This is not a staten- statement about whether or not we should have or should not have allowed them to come into our country. Okay, so I'm not making a political statement here. Okay, so relax, everybody. Take a deep breath. But here's what bothered me about that situation: is that as I looked on my Facebook feed, as I looked on Twitter, as I looked at the news what I saw was you have the Syrian refugee crisis and what's going on is these, these, there's these Syrian refugees from a war-torn country um, who are being murdered in the streets, right? Looking for a place to go and what the fear was was that if they came in here that, that some other people might sneak in that could hurt us, right? What bothered me the most about the church in that moment was that our response was one that was motivated by fear and not love. That as a church, if we're looking at, like, and again, this is not a political thing. I'm not saying they should have or shouldn't have, but what I'm saying is what bothered me the most is that if we're looking at Jesus' word and he's saying, this is how people are gonna know you, Christian, is by the way you love each other and people who are literally being murdered in their streets and we're going, no, 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 don't let them come over here because I'm scared of what might happen to me. What bothered me is that as Christians, what should happen, our first, our initial response should be brokenness our initial response should be heartbreak over people who are dying. And, and even if the answer isn't whatever, the answer should still be, how can we help them? How can we love them? How can we serve them? you see what I'm saying? It's not a, it's not a, I'm not making a political statement. I'm saying it just bothered me that, that what, I, what I saw, maybe my view is wrong, but what I saw from the people I was hearing from was a response from the church more based in fear and not love. And what we see is a God, a Jesus, who's and Paul is saying, "I want you, church, to grow in the way that you love each other." And so, what I want us to say to this is that it's impossible um, that kind of love is impossible for us from a human nature, a human standpoint to give out. Like it's, we can't truly love sacrificially. We can't truly love actively. We can't truly love our enemies on our own. Like that's just not something that I have the capacity. Like if I'm gonna kill a woman in Buffalo Wild Wings, you better believe that like I'm gonna have a really hard time loving someone who's deeply scarred me. But that kind of love is something where that Jesus does in us that helps us to rise above that. It's literally... A supernatural love that we as Christians are called to pursue. So, Paul's hope for the Philippians is this his ultimate hope is that they would grow into cap- the capacity, the way with which that they have love for one another. And he says, I want this, ha- this to happen in two ways in, the, in your knowledge and discernment. So, what is he talking about with knowledge? Knowledge of what? what he, it seems to be what he's talking about is like a spiritual knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of God's will. Um, Uh, knowledge of who he is knowledge of Jesus right literally a knowledge of of the scriptures in a way and so how does that like how does knowledge of the bible help us in the way that we love each other well here's the thing is knowledge of God knowledge of the bible um, teaches us what God has to say about our relationships like I wouldn't know that I'm supposed to love my enemies if I didn't know what God had to say about what how I'm supposed to treat my enemies does that does that make sense and so it's literally, uh, Christian, you need to grow in your knowledge of the scriptures. You need to grow in your knowledge of Jesus and God and, and who he is, what his nature is, what he thinks, what he says, so that we can know what he has to say about um, and the context of our relationships, the context of dating and marriage, the context of loving others, the context of our how we treat our enemies, our friends, our coworkers. He wants us to grow in that. And, and no, there's not like... Like I said, dating and marriage, there's not like, you know, John 5.22, okay, you can go on three dates and then you're allowed to hold hands. That's not in there. But what happens is as we learn the Bible and as we understand God's knowledge and his, uh, God's, not, God, not God's knowledge, as we understand God's nature, we begin to, are able to line that up with, okay, here's kind of how God seems to think about things, so that's how that affects the way I should act in this situation over here. You see what I'm saying? And so it's literally, it, like some of it's cut and dry, like when, when, Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. That's pretty cut and dry. Like that seems to say it's sin if you don't love your enemies. That's pretty hard to read into another way. Um, But there are things that we have to learn. Basically, God's nature, his character. Without a love rooted in the knowledge of God, we won't or we can't know how to love the way God calls us because it feels right, love isn't right. Like if it feels right, it's right. That's just not the truth. But love is always rooted in and founded in truth. And where we learn that truth is God. What he has to say, what he thinks. So, so, so Paul's prayer is that they would grow in love. And how they would do that is in knowledge of what God thinks about how they should act in their relationships. And then secondly, in discernment. So knowledge asked the question: asks the question, what is right? So what does God have to say about what is right? Discernment asks the question, what is best? Discernment asks the question, asks the question what is best? So if you uh, are faced with, and you'll, you've, I'm sure this has happened to you multiple times in your life, you've been faced with a situation or a question, and there's multiple right answers, right? Like there's several things that could be the right answer, but you don't know which one to choose. Discernment is what helps us in there telling us what is best, not just what is good. Not just what is okay, not just what is right, but what is best. And so what Paul is saying is that I want you to grow in your knowledge of how you love each other so that you can know how to love each other as Christians, how you can love each other as a church in the best possible ways. Like, relationships are complicated. Can anybody, would anybody disagree with that? If you don't think that that's true, you've never been in a relationship with anyone in your life, okay? Like, relationships are complicated. I've offended people by walking past them before. And I'm like, I'm, you know, like it's just complicated sometimes, right? I am a pretty offensive person, so I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but so knowing that we're supposed to love each other, knowing that God calls us to know each other, doesn't mean that we necessarily know how best to love each other, right? And so as, as an example, um, this one is right to my own, my core, Right. As a husband, I know that the Bible has a lot to say about how I'm supposed to treat my wife, how I'm supposed to love her. Like I, it says, I'm supposed to pour myself out for her. I'm supposed to love her like Christ loved the church. Um, those are some really like big things, right? Like Christ loved the church. Well, what in the world does that look like, right? Does that, I mean, I don't. I'm still learning that, and Katie would tell you that. (laughs) He's still learning, give him time. All right. But what it means is things like we're supposed to love sacrificially. I'm supposed to put her needs ahead of mine. Um, I'm supposed to be devoted to her, both with uh, my heart, with my mind, with uh, my eyes devoted to her, right? Um, those are foundational things that I know about my marriage but what and I, that I know I'm supposed to do, but how does that play out? So how do I, in the best way, love her as my wife? How do I um, lift her up as my wife? How do I do that? Well, that's where discernment comes in. And so what Paul is saying is I don't want you to just grow in your knowledge of this is what I'm supposed to do, but grow in your discernment of this is how this plays out in our lives with each other right, so that we won't be a church that's just sitting around going, well, I know that this happened and I hurt this person, but I was in the right. Who cares, man? Like, if you hurt that person, use your discernment and make it right. Don't just be in the right, right? Okay, thank you. So Paul is coming, is calling the Philippians to grow in their love for one another. They would grow in knowledge of what God is God's expectation of loving each other looks like. And secondly, that they would grow in how and act in learning how to actually actually, actively, practically play and live that out. And again, I'll use the I Love My City as an example. Like so we do the I Love My City events where we want to serve our community. We want to serve, we want to love um, this area but we're not just going to go, all right, we want to love this area, so we're just going to go stand out on a street corner and like, just hand out clothes to people. I mean, I guess that could work, right? But the way, in our discernment, what we thought the best thing to do with that would be to partner with the city and say, how do you guys think would be the best way for us just to serve our city with these clothes, right? And so that's kind of that's the difference in discernment and knowledge. So then Paul moves on, verse 10. He says, so all of this, All of these things that I'm talking about, growing in love and knowledge and discernment is for this reason, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. That seems like it has a pretty big purpose behind it, don't you think? Being pure and blameless on the day of Christ, kind of a big deal, right? So as we do this, the result will be that we, um, he says that we'll approve the things that are superior, be pure and blameless. So the first thing is that Paul's saying the result of this will be that you can approve the things that are superior. That sounds like really big, heavy language, but it's actually really simple and practical. Paul is saying the idea is that we'd simply be able to, um, the, the idea behind uh, choosing the things that are superior is that like, in a, in, we would take choices or decisions and we would be able to put them to the test. So, like uh, a baseball team having baseball tryouts and finding out which guys are the best baseball players—that's literally putting someone to the test to see if they can play or not. All right. Maybe we should. Never mind. Yeah. Well, be quiet there. We're going to talk about the church softball team, but I think I'm the weak link on the softball team. So, the other day I literally fell down just running. So, um, <laughs> anyways. Um, but so the idea is that we would be able to put these things, these decisions, these choices to the test, and in our knowledge of what God has to say, in our discernment, we'd be able to choose what is the superior choice. So this, this goes along with that. Um, and as Christians, and in our Christian walk, and our Christian life, we have so many choices, right? There's so many things that can come up, that can distract us, that can get in the way, so much good that gets in the way of the great. So much good that gets in the way of what God has called us as Christians to do and be. And so what Paul is saying is that I'm hoping that you can learn this discernment, this knowledge and loving each other um, that would help you make decisions so that you can always choose the great over the good so that in your Christian walk you can always be following right closely behind Jesus. So that things that, that might be good won't get in the way of what God has called you to do. For your family, for your church, for yourself, right? And he says he prays all of this, all of that for two reasons, that they would be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Pure and blameless. The idea behind that word pure is, it's the, the idea that they're using the scripture is like Sunlight. So, have you ever, I mean, I'm sure you guys have never done this. I've just seen, and I have never have. I've just seen it on, like, movies and stuff. But where they, somebody, like, takes somebody else's mail and holds it up to the light. You know what I'm talking about? You hold it up, and what happens? They, it holds up to the light, and the light reveals what? What's inside, right? Did somebody say money? Reveals money, yeah. Oh, got a check, right? So, that's the idea behind this, is that we would be pure in that, as, like, sunlight shining on us reveals So as the sunlight reveals what's in us, what is inside of us would be revealed as pure, that it would be kind of the ideas without hidden motive, without secrets, without um, uh, which kind of like what you see is what you get, right? There used to be this prayer that I would pray when I was uh, in college, and it was from this phrase, and I never could get it right, but I think it's like caram deo is the way that you say it, and what it means is a Latin phrase that means before the face of God, And so it's kind of the idea is that, that our lives would be pure, that our lives would be lived out before the face of God so that whenever the sunlight is shown on us, what is revealed inside us would be pure and without blame. right? Without offense. We talked about kind of how that happens in our lives as we grow in love and knowledge of what God has to say about how we love each other, how we live as Christians. kind of goes along with something that we mentioned in the men's group. Um, Wednesday night, where we were talking about, the, well, Ryan was talking about this quote from some guy, I don't know, some dead guy, Charles Spurgeon, right? He said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's the same concept, right? We want to be pure and blameless for Jesus. And if, if we as Christians are not um, actively killing the sin in our lives, it's going to overtake us ourselves, right? And so we have to be careful because if, if we're not, if we take sin lightly, it destroys us. And so that's kind of this idea that Paul is saying, is that as we grow in these things, it will help us in discernment in the choices that we make, but then also in what's going on in our lives, that God can reveal sin to us. He can reveal who, what's going on in your life, that we can be killing sin in our own hearts, minds, and lives, so that at the end of the day, when Christ comes, when we meet Jesus, we can stand before him pure and blameless. And the idea is beautiful. I was reading what one pastor was saying about this, and he said it's kind of like the reason for this whole text is so that when Jesus comes, we can anticipate his coming and anticipate meeting him versus being terrified of meeting him. Do you see the difference? So like the anticipation is, or excuse, the fear is, say you, uh, you're in school and you meet the bully, and you're like, I'm going to meet you outside after school, and I'm going to beat you, beat the punk out of you, right? You're spending the rest of the day in what? In fear. Terrified, I'm gonna have a meeting with this bully. Versus the example he gave was on your wedding day. And so for me, I thought about that day, and I was thinking about beautiful day in Georgia. Um, had all of my close friends and family around, and just sitting there, how I anticipated that day, how I was excited for that day, how I looked forward to that day, right? And then you see when you see Katie for the first time, and people told me I cried. I don't really think I did, but maybe I did. I don't know. Um, no, I definitely did. Um, but just that feeling of like, it's finally here. I've anticipated this. I've looked forward to this. I'm so excited for this moment, right? It's kind of the same thing. What Paul's saying is all of this is so that on that day when Jesus comes or when you meet Jesus, you can anticipate that with excitement. And what is supposed to happen is that because, so for me, as I was looking forward to that day where I got to marry Katie, I was looking forward to it. It affected my whole life. Right? It affected the decisions I made so much so that it reordered my priorities in my life. Right? It reordered everything in my life. And it's that same thing that Paul's talking about here. Is all of this is so that when we meet Jesus, we can meet him with anticipation and excitement, looking forward to that day. And what that should do is reorder everything in our lives in the most beautiful way. Not like a, oh, I have to, but no, oh, I get to. Right, like if you ask me if any of the reordering or any of the changes that I made in my thinking and all that looking to that day of Mary and Katie, they were all good things that I was excited about, pumped to, and I was willing to do whatever because I was so excited for that moment. And it's the same way in our relationship with Jesus. And so Paul is saying that all of these things that he's talking about here, growing in our love for one another, our affections for one another so that we can be pure and blameless before Jesus are a good thing so that we can look forward and anticipate his coming and all for this final purpose. He puts a nice little bow on it in verse 11. For this purpose, so that we may be filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All of this that he's talking about is in the end for one purpose, so that we can glorify and praise our God. It's this beautiful picture of, um, to, if we're just simply talking about the beginning where he's saying, you church, love God. One another, grow deep in your love for one another. Church, Christian, when people see you and they know you, they will know that you're a Christian because of the way you love one another. Is all for one final purpose of what? Of revealing God to the world around us. It's this beautiful thing. Guy, Ryan, you guys go ahead and come on up. And as we kind of wrap up today, I want to encourage you with this, and I want to um, really. I want to give you this one challenge. I'm, giving you, I'm going to give you homework today. You guys ready for some homework? I'm going to give you some homework. Some of you guys have been out of school too long. Some of you have been in school too long. So I'm, going to, I'm just going to give you some homework. Our hope is this. As we grow in our love for one another as a church, that others would look at us and look at us as Christians and they would see how we sacrifice for one another, how we love one another, the depths at which we love one another and even love people that we shouldn't love love people who have hurt us who have broken us who have scarred us that people would look to us and they would ask how are you able to do that right because like I said before it's not something I can do on my own it's literally it is quite literally a supernatural thing that as that happens that people would look at us and we could point them to Jesus and so my encouragement my challenge my homework for you this week is that you would focus on ways to grow in loving one another you would think about how can I grow in my love for the church, for people, for my relationships, and my knowledge and discernment. And so my challenge is this, that this week that you would look for, I'm just going to give you two, just two, okay? Two opportunities to love someone in a way that you wouldn't have normally done. Two ways to go out of two, oh, say, two times this week, go out of your way to love someone. So, so just think, I mean, this could be paying for somebody's coffee. It could be, I don't know, cooking dinner for someone. I don't know, mowing your neighbor's lawn. I don't know, David. Um, <laughs> two ways to just reach out and love someone when you that you normally wouldn't have done. Okay, so it can't be like, well, I was already going to do this, so this counts. I did my homework. No, two ways to do something that maybe you normally wouldn't have done. And I wanna, I want to challenge you to see how God works in that see how God works in that, okay? And then I want you to do this, the second part of that homework. So small group leaders, community group leaders, I hope you're listening to me. In your community groups this week, I want you to share about what that looked like. So here's what I did. Here's kind of how it played out. And I don't, it doesn't have to take over your whole community group week, but I want to challenge you to do that this week. And you say, well, Mike, I don't go to community group. Aha, I gotcha. You got to go to a community group. fast that's, that's like a little... That's the that's the long con right there. Is what that's going. So, but on that note, we do. If you are interested in the community group, and if, if you say, "Man, I would love to go and share share how God's working that," we have all the community groups listed out on that table, and Natalie would be thrilled to talk you through that. So, let's pray, and I want to go and ask you: Let's stand together, and let's just worship our Savior, let's worship our our God in spirit and in truth this morning. Father, I love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to come and worship our God, worship our Savior. Lord, thank you for who you are, Father. I pray that you will continue to teach us as a church, teach us just as a young church family how to love people, Lord, that you would continue to grow us and our love for one another, that we would learn how to love sacrificially, actively, and even in those places that we don't want to love. God, teach us how to do that and to do it joyfully. Lord, it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.